Hello and welcome to Talking Talk podcast for the media by us. My name is Brent. I'm here today with David. David, how are you? I'm good. <laughs> it's, it's mysterious. <laughs> I should cut that and make that the cold open for this episode <laughs> since I feel like we need a cold open. This I was just going to say this podcast will self-destruct in 90 minutes probably. <laughs> you got a while. <laughs> Yeah, so we watched Mission Impossible Dead Reckoning Part 1, the seventh entry in the Mission Impossible series. And uh, so we'll be reviewing that. But first, uh, is there any new, any uh, Breezy on the Streets, any news that you you want to highlight, David? Uh, I, I didn't really have anything. Yeah, not in terms of news. Strike's still going on. I think it's the okay. last time we, we talked. Yeah. The uh, SAG-AFTRA joined the Writers Guild, so... A lot of uh, movies and series are going to get pushed a year or two. Um, you know, write your local studio executives, have them cave into basic human needs for writers and, <laughs> and all that stuff. I'm, I'm pro-union on this one. I don't know about you, Breezy. <laughs> I'm not going to say It's hard not to be. Yeah. <laughs> so you consider the tactics and what they're asking for, it's really not that much. <laughs> Yeah, Mr. Burns level evil PR coming out of studio executives. <laughs> well, well, let's get to what we've been watching. And uh, so we'll start with you, David. What have you been watching? Well, fresh off the uh, Emmy nominations from the Emmys that probably will not happen. I was uh, hearing a lot about and I've heard from uh, you and other folks about uh, Jury Duty. It got a surprise nomination for kind of best comedy and a nomination for best supporting actor for James Marston. And I, uh, my interest had, had been peaked, <coughs> and I wanted to, to check it out. I have uh, Prime. It was originally on uh, Freevee or something. The thing that used to be like TV Guide Channel is now Freevee <laughs> or IMDb Free or something. I don't know. But it it uh, series of events. I ended up watching Jury Duty, and it is it is uh, it's it's really delightful, light, fair. It's and charming. yeah, the, the, I don't know that I love the show, but it is a show that immediately after, um, there is now audio commentaries with like the cast and creator and writer, um, and with Ronald Gladden, like the star of the unwitting star of the thing, there is audio commentaries <laughs> yeah. for every episode. And right after I finished the last one, I, I launched into it and I think they added that how are they after it initially aired they are they're really entertaining and they they kind of go through some of the interest in the last episode of like the how we did it and like what was going on behind the scenes are like oh my gosh we almost broke when you said this and tried to cover our our faces and it's just entertaining like you know um passive listening passive watching kind of stuff it's really I, I recommend it. it. It's it's pretty fun. James Marston's in it, and uh, is is pretty funny. And yeah, for for a show, I I don't think I absolutely loved. I, I've watched a lot and read a lot of content about it because I just feel like I find the whole uh, pr- the premise just fascinating. Being able to pull it off and uh, yeah, it and it's it's just it's it's uplifting and it's it's a it's a nice show. So I I, uh, I recommend watching that, and if you've watched it and haven't listened to it, the audio commentaries are really entertaining. 
Yeah, I, I really liked Jury Duty. I appreciated how nice of a show it was. I was a little worried that it might be... Uh, I don't know if exploitative is the right word, but just... Um, I didn't. I, it would have felt uncomfortable if they used it to laugh at Ronald mm-hmm. in some way. But, boy, the casting knocked it out of the park. I think I actually saw some criticisms of Ronald saying that he's a little bland or a little vanilla, but I think he kind of needs to be in order to not um, to not be mean towards <laughs> some of the ridiculous people he's surrounded by. So, um, I think they found themselves a hero, and they did well. And yeah, I was uh, I was definitely a fan. I think that the uh, I think it's very funny in parts. It might run a little longer than it needs to, maybe a few too many episodes, but mm-hmm. uh, still, it's very. I enjoyed it a lot. James Marsden, I thought, was very very funny. Yeah, uh, but <laughs> so were the others. I like the I liked the guy with glasses who falls into the relationship. The other girl in the jury, mm-hmm. um, in the first few episodes he's the one who uh who who stands up and asserts that he's a racist Mm -hmm. trying to get out of jury duty and then um i think he's consistently very funny uh but yeah it's a it's a it's a pretty funny show and i really enjoy the final episode where you get to see behind the scenes of how uh of of the scripts for this Mm -hmm. and to see how that worked because it is it is a a very different approach to uh, in case anyone out there doesn't know i guess we haven't explicitly said it's a show where uh one man believes he's been chosen to be part of a documentary on serving on a jury and he does not know that everyone around him including the judge and the lawyers and everyone uh, including the rest of his jury are all improv actors and so it's all just comedies that surrounds him and he is the protagonist and it's just sort of about him uh, handling all the, the zaniness around him a little bit, but he handles it with grace and he's such a, he's such a nice guy that uh, it, it really, it really works because if he, I just, it would have felt wrong if they set him up to, for him to be, I don't know, mean or uh, stupid in some way. And so it, it, he he did that doesn't happen and so as a result i like the show and i would recommend yeah it it makes you feel good not that every show has to but it's nice that this one did uh okay well i've watched i went to i went back to the theater after seeing mission impossible dead reckoning part one i went back and saw barbie but not heimer i've only i've only completed half of the barbie heimer barbed um uh but no my wife and i went to see we went to see barbie and the newest uh, from Greta Gerwig. I don't know if people out there have heard of this movie. It's made over a billion dollars in like less than two weeks, I think, at the theater. So it's it's um, quite the hit of summer. It's uh, you know it's going to be here for the long haul. I think this movie's going to have some some Oscar attention. And it's uh, I will say I thought it was utterly delightful. I thought it was very very funny. It's. It has moments where the satire is really good and really biting. Uh, I think it. Uh, I think the satire ultimately is maybe the weaker part of the movie because they. I, I guess I maybe it's just my taste. I don't like when satire just tells you what they're satirizing and just ex- kind of explains it to you directly. Mm-hmm. And um, 
this movie does a little bit of that, but it's uh, it's still as a comedy. It, it, I laughed really hard in the theater, and man, Greta Gorig and Noah Baumbach just I think they knocked it out of the park, and it's easily my favorite movie of 2023. Depending on how I feel about Dead Reckoning, stay tuned. But uh, <laughs> no, it's uh, it's I, I enjoyed it immensely. I think that Margot Robbie's fantastic. I think that America Ferrara is very, very good in a supporting performance. And, uh, and again, I hate to, I hate to do this. I feel like I do this all the time when it's reminds me of when we were talking about ghostbusters, when the best part of ghostbusters was the man, but Ryan Gosling is incredible in this movie. I think he is fantastic. It's, it's an early favorite for one of my, uh, male performances this year i think i think i'm rooting for a best actor nom for for ron gosling comedy comedic performances don't often get it but i i would i would love one here so i'm a big fan of barbie everybody should go see it i've been i've been really wanting to go see it we were going to see it the weekend it uh came out but we got busy with stuff then we got busy with stuff with the kid so i'm i'm glad it's a billion dollar success because i still want to go see it with uh with my wife she's she's really excited about it our our daughter really wants to see it so but it's probably not appropriate for people who are actually playing with barbies i'm guessing but i'm i'm really glad for its success really glad you enjoyed it makes me excited yeah i don't i know a lot of people are taking their kids it's i'm not the right i don't know i'm not the right person to say this this isn't for a kid but i can say that the movie is more it's harder it's i mean a kid's not going to get what this movie's completely going for so it is dealing with adult themes uh but it's um probably i don't know still colorful and enjoyable for a, a, a kid but yeah. our our daughter if, our daughter right now is a curiosity sponge and is asking us questions like you know what happens when i die so <laughs> Like no. big questions, so she's maybe skip yeah, this one. Probably a lot to latch on to with this one. Just asking about it. I love her curiosity, but uh, probably some questions I'm not prepared to answer just yet. If, if we watch it, well, I did see. If you want, if you want a movie that will really inspire no questions, I did just see Super Mario Brothers movie on uh, Peacock, and boy, that is just uh, that is just the safest movie. <laughs> I've seen in a long time. She, we, ha- we all saw that. So yeah, she gives that a hearty, a hearty uh, five. It's a me, Mario's out of five. <laughs> yeah, I think my review of that movie was it's a movie. That's <laughs> about. I mean, they they did what they needed to do. But yeah, Barbie is it lived up to its hype, and uh, I'm. I mean, I, I have to go see Oppenheimer naturally. Having seen Barbie, I'm going to have to go check out Oppenheimer, which did just get an extended run at IMAX. So that gives me a couple more weeks to go. I don't know, spend $20-$40 on a movie ticket, I guess. I'm not sure how much IMAX. I haven't been to an IMAX movie in a long time, so I don't know. All right, so the, the takeaway <laughs> here is uh, see Barbie for the male performance and it's Brent's favorite <laughs> until he can watch Oppenheimer for a real. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Go see Barbie. Don't worry. The men save the movie. <laughs> uh, 
yeah, also, go, go see that in the suburbs if you can, because you'll be laughing at different jokes than the rest of the audience <laughs> around you. That's, yeah. that's my recommendation. We will. So. Uh, all right, so that gets us to our main review. Mission Impossible Dead Reckoning Part 1. Um, so, David, we both went to see this, not together, but we went to see this in the movie theater. So, uh, what was your uh, what was your expectation going in? What's your history with the Mission Impossible series? Um, Mission Impossible series, I've seen all of them, and I saw all of them as a rewatch leading up to this, but I... I have memories of seeing the first one in the theater, which seems a little... I might have been a little young. I was 11. My mom is a huge Mission Impossible fan. My dad, not. My dad has like a thing about Tom Cruise that that he, he just doesn't see any Tom Cruise movies. Um, his, weird, his main thing is like he's too short. <laughs> <laughs> like, like most of the movies are alive because they make him not be short. It's like a really weird. <laughs> There's other things you could do for Tom Cruise, but that's really the big one for him. Um, really enjoyed Mission Impossible series early on. Saw the first two in the theaters. Had the soundtrack to Mission Impossible Two with the Limp Bizkit soundtrack. Thought that was pretty cool in the year 2000. Oh. And um, by the time the third one came around. You know, it, it would be movies I'd see, like the third one. And yeah. I know there's a resurgence with, like, with Ghost Protocol after that. You know, I, I saw it kind of, like, maybe a year or two afterwards. And then <clears> with, uh, with Rogue Nation and especially Fallout, it, it triggered kind of a reappraisal of, of the series for me. Not, not trying to step on toes for later stuff we're talking about, but Fallout was such, like, a... Like, uh, uh, a real like call to arms of like this may be one of the most important ongoing series that we have right now and so I was really excited and my yeah. expectation for this movie this was the first movie that I've seen in the theaters since about uh, I was trying to think like 2019 about a year before the pandemic wow and that was probably, I saw one in 2019, the last one was probably 2017. Like, most of that is just having a kid in 2018, and then the pandemic, and, and stuff like that. So, this was a real, like, yeah. Nicole Kidman for AMC's, like, welcome back to the movies moment. <laughs> I had my sparkled, embroidered Mission Impossible shirt on, and just, like, stared at the movie, and, and had a good time. <laughs> I took my mom to it, because she, she loves it. And uh, she she loves the Mission Impossible movies and was really excited for it. So that was that's what I brought going into it. How about uh, how about yourself? Well, I'm a I'm a big fan. You may remember that I had Fallout as my number two movie of 2018 mm-hmm. when we did our uh, talky talk into the year top ten. And honestly, now I'd probably put it back at number one. I was caught up in the Paddington two of the moment at the time mm-hmm. and. Uh, I think I was just swept away with Paddington's sweetness. But now I think I'd probably put Fallout again as my favorite movie of 2018. Yeah, I've always been a big fan. I love the first one. Uh, I remember kind of going through the same thing you did, which was after two, I started just kind of ignoring. Uh, I didn't think about it much. And then three came out and I thought, well, that, that's that's better. That's back to normal. Mm-hmm. And then, uh, yeah, probably around the time Ghost Protocol and Rogue Nation came out, those are the ones that really 
hooked me again on the series. Yeah, I was I was excited to see this. I think this is a series that now just commands my my movie ticket every every time one comes out. Like I'm 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 in. Uh, especially after even though even though it's not part of the same series, after Top Gun Maverick last year, it's I, I basically consider Tom Cruise an auteur, like one of the few actors who is mm-hmm. his own auteur. Like he he makes these movies and he's the probably the main creative force behind a lot of it. So I think that um, I'm just sort of when when I see a, a trailer with Tom Cruise doing practical stunts and uh, I know that there's going to be a message from him before the movie thanking me for coming out to the coming out to the theater and. Yeah, I'll I'll be there every time. So I was uh, I was I was I was in for this movie the moment it was announced. Basically, mm-hmm. there was never any doubt. So. And I, I love your your I love your take that like Tom Cruise is like our modern day Buster Keaton. It really does feel that way of like someone really putting their heart, soul, and body on the line for a movie, and it just makes you energized to go see it versus like Transformers, Beast Wars. <laughs> You know, <laughs> well, yeah. I watched. Uh, I actually watched Keaton. I watched a good bit of Keaton's filmography earlier this year, and uh, that is the the one takeaway. I get the same feeling watching these Mission Impossible movies, which is I'm, it. I, I know it's going to work out okay. I know this isn't a snuff film that I'm watching where someone dies, but at the same time, there is. Yeah, I get worried for Buster Keaton and some of these, like when a when a building falls over on top of him. And I get worried for Tom Cruise when he's holding his breath underwater or he's uh, flying on, holding onto the side of an airplane. And so it's, uh, there is that visceral, like you, you feel that worry for the actor on the, on the screen. And that's the, that's the connection. Although Keaton was the director, but I still feel like this is Cruise is the closest thing we have today to, to, to that sort of screen presence. Um, which yeah, I really do enjoy. It's, it's unique. They don't. It's 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 weird that I feel like Tom Cruise is such a traditional type of actor, and yet he's kind of the only actor making movies like this. <laughs> like it's 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 really strange. But um, anyway, so what did you think of Dead Reckoning Part One? This is the beauty of 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 talking about this a couple weeks after I, I watched it is if you would have done the like uh, the Rotten Tomatoes audience score right out of the movie, I would I would have given it like ten out of ten. Just absolute thrill ride, roller coaster. Yes, it's very long. It felt super long. But also like, you know, you know, check my pulse during it and I was I was there for it. And then afterwards you you just think about like you know, after the shock wears off, like what was any of that really? <laughs> yeah, you kind of have that like sobering <laughs> moment when you wake up the, the the morning after a big party, and like what what did I do last night? <laughs> um, I I still enjoy. It. I still think it's a it's a really good movie because it's trying to be a movie that's fun. It's trying to be a live action roller coaster. With, with characters you like and not really taking taking that many risks with its format. Um, it's a very silly movie. It's the the plot is very silly and the larger like themes and points it's trying to make, I think are very silly. 
But that being said, it's the duality of just like the likability of this franchise. Like for, you know, it's it's like a, you know, $200 million budget movie. It feels very like, oh, it's a, a hard scrabble bootstraps kind of movie. Like good for it. It, 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 it made, it, they made a movie. I just get excited for it. So I'm, I'm on like both sides of that coin where I think it's uh, very silly, but it was a very good time. Yeah. I think that for me, I, I feel like I'm going to harp more specifically on the things I didn't like about it. But I do want to first stress, and I'll probably come back, circle back around to this at the end, which is, I agree, it's a fun movie. It's it's sort of, I think of it as like floor and ceiling, whereas there have been movies in this series that I just, that they just knocked it out of the park. They just floored me, and I continue to be floored to this day by them. Mm-hmm. Um that's the ceiling that this had, the, the potential that this had. The floor, though, for this movie was already pretty high for me. So, like, at worst, I was going to be entertained and there were going to be some breathtaking stunts. Like, I, I knew based on the fact that this was Cruz and Macquarie and not, like, a new team. There weren't a lot of new voices here. They were going to still nail the most fundamental aspects of Mission Impossible movies mm-hmm. and and give me a good time at the theater. And they did. So I appreciate that. Um, my quibbles with the movie are few but strong. And um, first off, I got actively annoyed during this movie when they kept explaining what the entity was and they kept talking about the keys. They mentioned <laughs> those keys. This is the most mentioned MacGuffin in movie history. Because over two hours and 45 minutes, or ever how long this movie was, which, by the way, a little too long, uh, it's, it's like they just constantly... Uh, and I think it's because in Fallout, there was a criticism that maybe they didn't spend much time talking about what was actually going on, on in the plot. And there were, there were elements of, of Fallout where I remember thinking, you know what, I can't even exactly remember what's happening in this movie. I don't know exactly what they're fighting mm-hmm. for. But I'm having fun. I don't care. So I think maybe that I don't, I don't know if they heard that. I don't know if there was a concerted effort to make sure every person watching this movie knew exactly what the goal of the mission was. But at a certain point, about the thirtieth time someone mentioned a key or the enti- or explained that the entity was AI and AI was going to destroy the world, mm-hmm. that. I was just, I wanted to scream, we get it, move on, come on, do some fun stuff. But, um, you know, it's little quibbles with things like that. I, and I, I'm, I'm, I mentioned this to you before we started recording, I'm going to be careful with spoilers, but I will also say I was very unhappy with the way one character was treated in particular. I was It was not a fulfilling um uh, next chapter to their story, and it is mm-hmm. it was a returning character that um, I was quite fond of. That um, I'm, I was just dissatisfied with the way this movie handled that particular character. And then my final my final complaint about this movie or criticism of this movie is the villain and the backstory. Yeah, and I don't think that I don't like. I mean, we're seven movies in. We know Ethan Hunt pretty. We we know what makes him tick at this point, and to introduce of this flashback of some some like I, I guess girlfriend or agent or something, mm-hmm. a female, a, a woman that he 
we, we don't really get a lot of explanation for it, but this new villain in this movie has a tie to Ethan's past and he killed someone that Ethan cared about. That's been a recurring theme throughout the series, uh, not from the past, but just that he, Ethan being trying to protect team members or people that he care about. Like that's the overriding theme of the series at large, I think is Ethan trying to balance protecting individual people while also getting the mission done. Mm -hmm. If you go back to the first movie, the first mission in Prague, he puts the mission ahead of his team because he's, he's all about the mission and then his team gets wiped out. And I think they've been pretty consistent with like establishing that that was sort of the, the moment that everything changed for Ethan and, um, and ever since then, he's just been trying to struggle with getting the job done while also protecting his team. In fact, they even talk openly about it in Fallout, about how uh, ultimately Alec Baldwin says we need, or maybe this is in Rogue Nation, but he says we need people like you. We protect the masses because you care so much about the individuals. Like it's, it's, your, it's your drive to do that, which makes you so good at protecting everyone else. So it's, uh, I don't know, to now go back and try to introduce something before Prague, before like something way mm -hmm. earlier in Ethan's past that it just, I don't know, it rang hollow for me and it, I just didn't care about the backstory. And this was just this suave, uh, Gabriel is his name, this suave villain who uh, I guess just gets fed information by the, the super AI and it's and he's employed by the ai uh it's i don't know i he was he kind of fell flat and i didn't didn't care much about him but there's there's other than that i will circle back this i was just yeah the, i feel like a fun movie if you're if you're like the second movie or the third movie in a franchise maybe you can take a gamble on that but as people yes. who are like paying to see this movie probably have this investment in this character that has lasted 25 years at this point like or almost 30 years probably by the time like the last one comes out to retcon this feels like you just you can't do it we have too much connection with this character there are there are several like people in ethan's past you probably could have used as like a way of like this is this is a way that uh Gabriel betrayed Ethan to an extreme degree. Characters that were in previous movies that, you know, did not continue. You could use something of that, something that just, like, values the audience's um, connection to the series. And, yeah, it felt really weird to say, like, okay, you've done all these movies, and especially maybe, like, an extra betrayal because I watched all of the movies leading up to seeing it in theaters... And it's like, all right, so after all that, you're just going to, you know, you're going to quiz me on, you know, you're going to test me on something that was not in the course, like a, like a grumpy professor. Right. It makes me wonder, it's like, well, if this happened, why is, if this is so important to Ethan, why has this not come up in 20 years or 25 years of, you know, in any of these other movies? Why was he so happy-go-lucky at the beginning of the first movie if he was, uh, he was just... He was just a content team yeah. member at the beginning of the first doing movie. card tricks and stuff and like, you, and it, every yeah. person he should have met, he sh we should he should have been thinking like, am I going to lose this person like I did with this original sin that I feel guilty for? It's like it's too many movies and it's too much stuff to reorient. Yeah, that 
I did not like that. I did not like the the villain either. Just it just it reminds me of um of Solo and the the way that Solo, which is a, a pretty enjoyable movie, but it's at the end Han Solo chooses to help a rebellion-esque group or whatever and to you know put his heart in ahead of his uh, whatever his smuggler instincts and it undermines what the choice he makes at the end of a new hope mm-hmm. when it's just like oh this was the this was the the moment in the first movie when this you know rogue this lovable rogue who was just out for himself finally makes the choice to help others and then you have a whole movie or a new you know a sequel many years later that says well he actually did that before you just uh mm-hmm. It's, it makes me. It's like, well, it's, it's kind of, was this then the big moment? Like, it's it, it bothers me. It was kind of a big deal in the New Hope that he finally like <laughs> cared about something enough that it wasn't just about the money. And I, it's like, oh, this was the second go yeah. This was old hat to our boy by then. And and you know the thing about Mission Impossible is like, Macquarie and Cruz and this this team in recent years they are actually they've actually been really good at incorporating old previous movies in the series. In fact, I think fallout does it beautifully because you have, um, the newer character played by Vanessa Kirby. Um, I forget her name, but she's, uh, she's the daughter or the granddaughter of max Mm -hmm. from the first movie. And I love how they, they can, they can, weave new characters in with characters that we know about so when there's the reference to max we understand as fans of the series instead of it just being like hey ethan you know the seismic event that happened in your life that we haven't talked about for seven movies or six movies then yeah we're gonna finally reckon with that uh this time it was a huge gamble i don't think it pays off but but uh, i do appreciate like stuff like that and like just there's just a visceral thrill of seeing Kittredge for the first time in seven seven movies. Yes, because in the first Mission Impossible, I loved Henry Zerny as Kittredge. He was just perfect as so that kind of guy. And to see him in like the first like scene in this thing, or the second scene, there's like the the first opening scene there. But to see him there is like you know just a fist pump. And I also like a lot. I like a lot of the new characters. I liked. I like Grace. I thought Haley Atwell was really good at that. Has some actual. It's it's yeah. It's really challenge for people to have chemistry with Tom Cruise because he's such a like machine of action and and other stuff going on. She actually has some some chemistry with him, and like I liked Palm Clementioff as like the silent film star villain. Is just without saying anything, it's like so charismatic, and I, I would, mm-hmm. uh, I would, uh, I would join her gang any day. I think her name's Paris in the movie. Just so striking. So I like, I like some of the gambles they do, but some, some yeah. of it is, yeah. I, I'm. This is kind of boring. I'm kind of in lockstep with you. Like the, I think the movie grinds to a halt when they get to the party. And they're just debating the AI, and this means that, and you're just like, "Come on, Let's, someone kick flip over something." <laughs> you actually, I mean, they had they had one one of these movies had a um, had a MacGuffin 
and a deadly technology that is literally never explained. Mm-hmm. The rabbit's foot is just a thing that we never know about in Mission Impossible 3. It, it, is, it is a pure mm-hmm. MacGuffin in, in that sense. And, and it's fun. I mean, the movie's not worse because of that. And so I, I don't mind them. Expl- I don't mind it having some stakes that I'm aware of, but it, it really just delved into over, over discussion. But I will also echo what you said. Um, I liked Palm Clem- Clementief. Clementief. Uh, I liked her pretty well. And um, loved Henry Zerny again. He is always welcome in these movies. Uh, I mean, I remember thinking that Henry Zerny was just going to, he was just going to be in, like some sort of government office guy in every mm-hmm. movie for like forever because he was in clear and present danger in the mid nineties. Yeah. And he played a very mm-hmm. similar, um, a similar type of character. And then I loved him in the first mission impossible. And then it's just like, well, what happened to him? I haven't seen Henry Zerny in anything. He's been making movies. He's been working pretty regularly, but I've just, I don't think I've seen any of this. And then this year he's been in scream six and uh mission impossible dead reckoning. Yeah, the, the Zernissance. Yeah. I'm here for it. Always welcome to see Kittredge. <laughs> um, yeah, I also agree. Haley Atwell is... Uh, she's just an actress I really like. I think that she's... Um, she's very beautiful. She's, she's Your eyes are drawn to her when she's on screen. She's very... I don't know. She she. I think she chooses movies that are, are good for her talents, and she's... Um, she's kind of perfect in, in a role like this where she's handcuffed to cruise and uh, you know, the chase scene is really great. The chase through Rome, the two of them is, it was, it was really entertaining. She's, she's a great scene partner. I think well, what I think about this movie is it's a collections of, uh, of set pieces that has some awkward connections really. Cause like the, the airport scene, like the kind of meet cute with, with, uh, Grace and Ethan Hunt is like really great. I, I really like that. All the kind of like the, uh, the, the tete-a-tete with them, like who's gonna, you know, con the, con the con person. The Rome chase scene was like, I was like dying laughing for some of that stuff. Just like great physical comedy stuff. The tiny car, the, the handcuffs. Yeah. Yeah, I I enjoyed it, and it it is it is still a good movie. Like I said, I know I was gonna harp on the the negatives more, but it's um, it's still a good time. I will say that I feel like I was robbed a little bit by the trailers because I feel like the trailers for this, it, the the jump off the cliff, I I had seen it several times going into the theater, and. I wish I had not seen it because I think it would have just blown my mind when Tom Cruise drove a motorcycle off a cliff and parachuted onto a train. But having seen it, having seen a featurette on it already, and it's just, it was sort of so um, uh, heavily advertised that I think it kind of robbed me of the novelty of seeing it for the first time. And it's, which is unfortunate because it's a great stunt, but it wasn't as breathtaking as a few others in the series because I think they were held a little closer to the vest before, before uh, the movie came out. I, I um, don't think I've, I saw, you the, know, if, if, if it had been in the cold open, I think you, you go ahead. I was, I was, I'll, I'll have some, you don't think you saw I don't it. Think I, I saw it before. Like I definitely didn't see the making of or anything. I heard about it. I wasn't that, 
clued into it. And then I kind of like turned a corner. It's like, I'm going to watch all of the Mission Impossible movies and have this be the like movie I go back to the movie theaters for. <laughs> I just really like made it a point like, I'm just going to do this. So I, I wasn't as invested because the rest of the Mission Impossible movies, like the last three ones, like I, I would catch them a year or two later on Paramount or HBO Max or whatever they were on. Mm-hmm. So the the train sequence I, I did love, but <laughs> the, the, the weird part of that giant stunt is it's so incidental. It is so non-impactful in terms of plot. And it's such like a, you know, I don't want to ruin what happens, but it's just like, it's, it, it is how you get into like the middle of a, middle of a scene that's been going on for a while. And you just, you know, keep going. I do like the train sequence, like the, the action that follows and especially the end of the train sequence, like the, the, the continuation of it, like, you know, you keep going and you think you're done and then there's another thing and then there's another thing and there's another thing and like my uh you know on the kind of on the edge of the seat for some of that stuff but yeah the the placement of it 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 would it would do better as a cold open like like the he's kind of done in some previous movies or more pivotal like like the burj khalifa in uh ghost protocol like yeah like right in the middle like really crowning part of action and and I don't have a I don't have a problem with its placement again in the movie. I think it works fine in the movie. I just think that it where it is in the movie, I would have dialed back a little bit in the mm. trailers, like how much they show of it in the trailers then because I'll compare it to Rogue Nation, which is where they heavily advertised him hanging onto the side of an airplane mm-hmm. in that movie. And but they get it out of the way in the first like 3 minutes of the movie. They know that's why you're here. You want to see Tom Cruise hanging off the side of a uh an airplane and you get to see it immediately, immediately before credits. And so for, in that case, I think it works well here. I think the trailers, um, probably give a little bit away of the, a little too much away of the, the, the really the big, the big moment late in the movie. And so it's, um, that said, it was still great. The train sequence was great. Uh, a little reminiscent of Uncharted 2, maybe? Uncharted mm. 3? I can't remember which one has the train sequence that's also, like, climbing through uh, a train off a cliff. But um, also, we keep calling it the train sequence. It's the uh, it's the Orient Express, <laughs> specifically, which uh, I had forgotten Famous. about until I was rereading the, um, uh, the the plot synopsis. Naturally, we this is just... Part two of our uh, train action sequence series that we're doing. We have Extraction Two and uh, Mission Impossible: Dead Reckoning Part One. So. Yeah, I did like the uh, like the bookends of this series. Of like the first one has, has you know a climactic end in a train sequence, and I, I kind of like the uh, what is it the uh, the parallelism or some english term for you know juxtaposition of those two tom cruise has said i think that dead reckoning part two is going to be him putting ethan hunt leg story to rest well we'll see i mean i think he's he said that before but it would be uh it would be kind of a fitting another fitting uh allusion to the first one like we see kittredge and we see like a epic train sequence that that was also and like uh, the White Widow's daughter, and those those connections are good. By the way, Vanessa Kirby really great as um, 
kind of multiple characters. I'm trying to figure out like what level of, of spoiling to do here, but very talented acting by Vanessa Kirby in, in the train sequence, having to uh, pull off multiple things. Yeah, as, as most people do in this series, <laughs> you have to sometimes play your character and sometimes you have to play uh, an IMF member wearing your face mm-hmm. <laughs> as a... Uh, as a character, and so I think that's that's pretty common. I wonder how many actors have actually avoided that at any point. I don't know if we've ever gotten a Ving Rhames mask. Yeah, I don't think so. All this time, we've gotten a Simon. Uh, have we gotten a Simon Pegg mask? No, Simon Pegg's worn a mm-hmm. mask a few times, but I don't think I don't know if he's. But yeah, everyone winds up as a mask at some point or another. Uh, even even uh, Tom Cruise. There's an Ethan Hunt mask in in my two, I believe. Yep. So, uh, all right. So, <clears throat> overall, I think we're we're fairly in lockstep here, which is we we recommend the movie. It's it's a fun time. I think going to a theater enhances it too. I think that just makes yeah. it even more fun. It's definitely a movie worth seeing on the big screen. So, uh, Anyway, was there anything about the series at large that you wanted to uh, to discuss? Um, maybe just just this one sequence before we start kind of diving into all the the nitty gritty of them. What to you like makes a Mission Impossible movie? Like there there are a lot of other series that have like come and gone and maybe still going on. I think it's very indebted to James Bond, like the especially like the relaunch of James Bond that predates Mission Impossible, the first Mission Impossible, by about a year with Goldeneye. There's, like, uh, there's the Fast movies. There's, like, Oceans movies. There's all, all these different, like, kind of action and spy and other series that have gone, gone on. What makes Mission Impossible Mission Impossible to you? I mean, besides Tom Cruise running from scene to scene, <laughs> it's, uh... I mean, really, it... I think that it has... I think that it does work because it is Ethan's story and it is what I talked about earlier about him losing his team and trying to ba- in the first movie and then trying to balance that for the rest of his career. It's I think that has really helped the character be a character that I care about more than maybe more than James Bond over the years because James Bond for the most part, with a few exceptions, I think the Daniel Craig series uh, delved into this sort of stuff more deeply. But Bond was just a character who never really—he never seemed to struggle. Mm-hmm. Um, it was all—if if he ever struggled with anything, it was just like, "Oh, this mission, this mission is too difficult," or uh, you know, "That's somebody has the upper hand." But it was not—I don't think it was a, an internal struggle ever with Bond, in, at least through most of that series, and so. I like the fact that, um, you know, while Bond fights for queen and country, uh, Ethan Hunt really is making himself the protector of the world at times, but also the protector of his friends. And he's unwilling to um, compromise either of those aspects. He won't, he, he's not going to trade one for the other. And I think that I've always been drawn to that character for that reason. Um, something about Tom Cruise's just earnestness mm-hmm. as a as an actor, where he's just like he's just 
he wears determination on his face better than any actor I can think of. There is just this this aspect of Tom Cruise when he says, "No, we're going to get this done." That you believe, I believe him every time, and I'm still uh, amazed, or, or I want to see how he's going to get it done, even knowing he will. Um, but going back to the Mission Impossible series, uh, apart from just Cruise, I think that there are these elements that we're going to talk about that they're. I'm glad that they are motifs. I'm glad that they appear in every movie. Like it's almost like a three set piece structure for every movie. There's one near the beginning, then there's some downtime, then they plan they plan a heisty thing in the middle, and then there's and then there's a big action blowout at the end. But um I like the cold opens. I like the I like the opening credits which show what's gonna happen later in the movie, and they all do this mm-hmm. and it's it's pretty unusual to do that and uh, I like that aspect. I like the um, the MacGuffins for every movie. So I don't know. I don't know. And and now more so than twenty years ago, I think that practical stunts that look incredible are are now another hallmark of the series. That um, like and he's he has been doing it all along, but it's just now it's it's just upping the ante almost every every movie so halo jumps and cliff hanging and tom cruise putting himself in harm's way is uh it's it's a hallmark of the mission impossible series what what, what do you think i think you're you're ready to give the a dissertation on it or teach a course on it because i think you i think you pretty much nailed it uh, tom cruise are, is our preeminent tryhard that we would all follow into battle as ethan hunt and he brings the personal to these to this like silly series of crosses and double crosses and triple crosses and actually it was a double cross because i was wearing a mask that triple cross didn't count he kind of like his earnestness is a great way to put it his earnestness is like a salve over all the the silly stuff that just makes you like keep believing and keep getting excited for it and it's 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 the preeminent set piece generating series. You want to see what they're gonna do. Like the the circus is coming to town, and you're gonna see what's going on. There's gonna be something great that that comes about. Some some crazy thing is gonna happen. Something you've never seen. It's it's the the spectacle train. I think more than some other series, it's it is also has been increasingly reliable. It's it's not like thing to thing is is like dicey or it changes hands and like uh, maybe the next director will have another shot at it or they're going to kind of reboot it we have that a little bit here but if you know we're going on good like 10 years or so of like solid reliable delivery <clears throat> that is kind of unmatched in in modern series and maybe the maybe for for lack of other things or just my ignorance the most reliable ongoing movie series that we have right now like I don't, I don't know what else would compare to it. So, yeah, Mission Impossible. No, it's, it's very reliable yeah, for that reason. In Mission Impossible, it has your trust that that it's gonna that it's gonna deliver. That's that's one of the things that just makes a Mission Impossible movie different is you believe it's gonna work. <laughs> so, are we ready to rank our favorite elements of the series? I hope so. I'm so excited to do it. <laughs> okay. Well, what better way to start than with the cold opens? So we have. I'm gonna need to pull down these. So, I can... so for cold opens, I'm gonna 
myself I define as the opening scene before you see the credits. So there may be some movies where there's sure. like a, another establishing scene, but if we see that that like uh, if we see that matchstick strike something and we're seeing those scenes from the rest of the movie, like that is ineligible for me. So it's it's got to be the opening thing. And I think these are the ones. I I kind of did these after the fact, but I think these are the these are the cold opens. That, that we'll be talking about here that kind of fit fit that fit that uh, rubric. The only one I'm a little shaky on is I didn't <clears> go back and rewatch the Fallout, the full open. But besides that, that's the, my only stipulation. That's my definition. Okay. Well, let's let's hear your what's your what's your seventh place? Seventh place. Cold I'm open. probably gonna go. Uh, and I hope I don't do this for every one of these, but probably Mission Impossible 2, where I believe the cold open is Ethan Hunt rock climbing, and then he gets a call on his his fo- his eyelashes, <laughs> his shades. <laughs> and that's it. <laughs> well, first, a, a helicopter shows up and shoots a rocket at his feet, <laughs> and, ins- and he instinctively knows to reach down, open the rocket, where he'll find some sunglasses and he puts on the sunglasses and he gets his uh his mission assignment so yeah so that that's my um, number seven mission impossible two rock climbing how about you seventh seventh for me is i'm going with ghost protocol because it's the one that i just remember the least mm-hmm. uh it's it's um uh josh uh what's his name from holloway. lost he's he gets sh- josh holloway he um he went to my he went to the same high school yeah. as me, um and uh, jo- Josh Holloway gets shot at the beginning of Ghost Protocol and they establish that there's gonna be I don't know it's but it's something we'd kind of done before which is just an IMF member gets killed and we got to find the person who did it and so there's there's just not a lot to it so that's that comes in last for me six I'm probably gonna go. Um Debating between two, I'm gonna go the uh, yeah I'll go that one too. The I call it Sawyer getting shot. I do like he gets shot by Leia Sedu, who may be one of the most beautiful human beings on the planet. But beyond that, it's it's opening with someone who's not Ethan Hunt, and I'm losing interest. It's just what just some <laughs> guy. Um, okay, for me, sixth is um, going to be Dead Reckoning Part 1, the the submarine cold open, which it's fine. But honestly, when we, uh, just before this podcast, I went back and reread the start the, the plot synopsis of uh, Dead Reckoning to re-familiarize myself, and I'd completely forgotten that the cold open was on a submarine. So again, just nothing wrong with it other than it's forgettable for yeah, me. Your bottom two are ones that don't open with Ethan Hunt. And yeah, this, this one, this one, not to, uh, this one's my next least favorite, I guess it's my number five because we're not opening with Ethan Hunt. It might even be my last one if I give it enough time because it kind of, it, forgive the pun, torpedoes the momentum of the rest of the movie where everyone's <laughs> like, we're looking for this key and we don't know what it's going to do. And as the audience is like, you know, there's two movies coming. We all know what's happening. Like we have this information nobody has and people are killing each other yeah. just to like, we have the key, but we don't know what happens. And we're like, eh, you know, we do. I, for, for that reason, I, I, I kind of, that's true. Maybe it would be better. Yeah. 
maybe it would be better if we just had no idea where the keys led, like what they were heading towards as we go into the last movie. That could be, and maybe do this cold open as the cold open of part See, two, where it could have said like eighteen months ago or something. That that would be like then we would have maybe like this. Lord of the Rings, where you have like the the before all this Gollum with the ring, like to open the next movie kind of deal. Yes. I think that would work a lot better. But no Ethan Hunt, and I think it it you know it it ruins the momentum of the rest of the movie. So you know maybe I rank that one too high now. Now you're making me <laughs> self conscious. You're making me self-conscious about my list because now I just think that my entire list may just be based on, like, percentage of Tom Cruise screen time. So, like, whatever the most, whatever movies or elements have the most Tom Cruise, I'm going to rank higher. All right, so um, that's my five. That's your yeah, number five. My number, my five is is going to be Mission Impossible Fallout, which uh, I do think it's, I think from here on out, I like all the cold opens pretty well. But um, Fallout has the dream of Julia mm-hmm. And I wasn't sure if I was supposed to also include the the fake out with Wolf Blitzer as part of the cold open. I can't remember if that's part if that's before the the match strikes or not. And and that would include that if if it is that includes the whole like shootout where he chooses to save Ving Rhames. This might actually be higher on my list if if it includes that. That's all. That's a, only going with the dream. Yeah, that's a lot of that movie though. You get the the botched trying to get the plutonium core, and then you do the Wolf Blitzer. If the match trip, if the match strike is after that, I do apologize. I took some hasty notes beforehand, but it opens. It, if we just say cold open, it opens with that that dream sequence. And that's, I, I yeah. agree. That's not really what Mission Impossible does. It's a weird, it's a weird opening, but at the same time, it does. I think the tone of it's really good because it establishes the, the one thing about Fallout that, that it does really, really well. Not the one thing, but one thing that the that Fallout does really well is, um, it does it does uh, keep you very worried about um, about what's coming. There's a lot of talk about how Ethan's going to have a, how there's a fallout and Ethan's going to have blood on his hands. And so I think that that sort of sets the tone for the movie really nicely. But still, it's fifth because there's Tom Cruise doesn't pull off a mask at any point and he doesn't run anywhere. So it can't be that high for me. What's your what's your number four? I mean, we're just we're we're like right off like one thing from each other. That's my four. Oh, it's, you go going fallout. Okay. Well, this is where we finally have we have the same list now. We have the same movies we can cross off because my number four is rock climbing in Mission Impossible Two. It is the cheesiest moment of this entire series is uh, Tom Cruise getting that rocket shot at his feet. But oh my god, I love it so much. I still love the beginning of Mission Impossible Two, even though I don't love much else in that movie. But there's it's cheesy and maybe a little bit of it is, is, is uh, inspired by the Ben Stiller MTV movie awards <laughs> spoof of that scene that uh, I still love to this day. But anyway, I, that's where I've got, that's where I've got that one. So where's your, uh, what do you got for number three? Number three, I have mission impossible one. It is, and this is one where I was mistaken because I thought there was a different one. I thought it's where the team gets killed and like Jim Phelps is dead. But the the cold open is actually there's like a sting operation and there there is uh, uh, Emmanuel Beert 
Claire Phelps is posing as like a, a dead prostitute and Ethan Hunt is wearing a mask as, mm-hmm. as this uh, Russian guy and kind of pulls it off. Of course. So that prog sting, it is, uh, it's, it's definitely got core elements of what Mission Impossible is going to be. Like it's going to be yes. tricking people. It's going to be masks. It's Ethan Hunt wearing them masks. It, that's why it's a little higher. There's, <laughs> there's, I guess, some more stakes and some more spectacle coming up for me. That's why I put it at three. Same, same spot is my third. It's, uh, yeah, Tom Cruise pulls off a mask for the first time, and it establishes something that shockingly has not gotten old for me after seven movies. I still love seeing somebody pull off a mask, and I love how people now, seven movies in, they just like roll their eyes knowing that they just like, oh, God, I should have expected this. It's a mask. Mm-hmm. It's what Ethan Hunt does. He's just a mask guy. So, yeah, love it. All right, you're number two. Number two, I'm going to do the... Um, we, we might go... I'm, I'm guessing we're going to go the same picks. Number two, I'm going Owen Davian um, telling Ethan Hunt, where's the rabbit's foot? And with the countdown, this is this is one where it's actually like a part of the movie you're going to see later, which is we don't see this in any of these other cold opens. It's, it's kind of like a sneak forward, a flash forward, if you will, from this J.J. Abrams direct hmm. movie. But it's it's like... I don't know. Anytime you can give me some extra Philip Seymour Hoffman, and that scene is is really good later in the movie when you kind of learn more of the stakes. It's uh, it's Philip Seymour Hoffman just being super menacing and awesome. So that's why it's two for me. It's also my number two, and it's fun because there's someone with a mask that you don't know isn't a mask until much later mm-hmm. in the movie. So it's uh, it's fun, yeah. And that leaves Tom Cruise on an airplane in Rogue Nation as our number. Of course, I mean it had to be right. It's perfect. <laughs> how could how could it, how could it be? This better this, this list started with that was number one. <laughs> it's Tom Cruise running across a field as an airplane is trying to take off, and then jumping off a hill onto the wing, and then throwing himself onto the door of the plane to hold on. So it is, it is perfect. A perfect way to start a Mission Impossible movie that they could never really improve on. I think. Okay, next we have. Um, let's do set pieces next so this is going to be like collection of set pieces so we're not ranking our best individual ones but just which movies have our have our best set pieces in general and i'll go first on these i'm going for for my last pick is mission impossible 3 those are just the that's the movie that i remember the least about like set wise it's um I think that J.J. Abrams, there are strong aspects of that movie, but that it's not always in the, the big action moments. The bridge is really the only thing that, that stands out to me. And the bathroom scene with with uh, with taking Davian. But again, these are, I feel like they're fairly small in comparison to other other movies. And the action is a little smaller than the rest of the series. So for me, it's, uh, it's, it's last. Okay. Well, just just like that, this next last one, sorry, just like the last one, we're going to start a little different. I'm going to beat up again on Mission Impossible 2 and say Mission Impossible 2 here. Just, I like John Woo, and I like John Woo movies, but there's something about his, his aesthetic that it just didn't really work for me for this. And if the pinnacle of this is going to be motorcycles jousting at each other in the sand which is the only thing that, that really like 
that I think of when it term comes to set pieces for this movie that I'm I'm just not really for that. Like like jumping, shooting, jump kicking, doing like really elaborate um, kung fu moves on each other, like spinning street fighter kicks to each other. When like you guys just punch each other and shoot each other, it's, just, it's it's a little convoluted for me, and the operatic violence of it, it just it's just not my bag. So I'm gonna go two last. Uh, okay, yeah, I'm going two with my second to last pick. It's uh, it's for all the things you said, I agree. It's uh, although I do like motorcycle jousting, I think that <laughs> is uh, ridiculous. Also, um. I'm kind of incorporating stunt work into this category. And I don't know if you've, have you read about the, um, the dagger to Tom Cruise's eyeball and how have you read anything about that? So from, from the second movie. Okay. Well, he was, Tom Cruise was adamant that the knife be millimeters away from his eyeball, that the tip of this knife and he, he's, he needed it to look like it was really there. So they tied it. To, they had like a rope attached to it so that Dugray Scott could really pull with all of his might and try to shove that knife into Tom Cruise's eyeball. And the rope the rope was designed to stop millimeters from his eye. So even back then he was he was trying to kill himself <laughs> just uh, in ways that he would just try to elaborate on further down the road. But he um Yeah, I don't know. I I don't like I don't like the um, the set pieces in two. That it two is the one that feels the most like a Pierce Brosnan era Bond movie, mm. and it's where Mission Impossible feels less like Mission Impossible. When you have the you have the car the the car chase where he's he and Tandy Newton are um, spinning together in their cars and looking at each other, and it's uh, it just feels very late nineties Brosnan Bond to me. And it's just that. Also, the also the end with the, it's just a, the uh, the villain has a lair on an island, <laughs> and it's very James Might Bond well to be me. In a so it just I don't know, kind of sucks. <laughs> right. Anyway, too much oxygen on that. So, um, what do we? What do you have for uh, number number six, six. for me? Is uh, it's going to be three. Yeah, the taking of uh, Owen Davian is really cool in the museum kind of thing, yeah. wherever they're at. I like the, uh, the the voice stuff they do. Like you have to say this thing to get the uh, the that thing. That, that might be more plotty than set PC, but yeah, there, there's not much that comes to mind. More like jerky camera and like lens flares. Just the the JJ special for that. So just a hand wave to a billionaire there. <laughs> My number five is going to be Dead Reckoning Part One. Um, I've the train was cool, but I've seen cool train sequences before, even in this series. The um, the Rome car chase was a lot of fun, but also the series has already done really good chases through Europe, European cities, and the airport scene was good. I mean, this, this is a good, these are good set pieces, but they just um, they're a little short of what else is in the series for me. All right, what here's- you got? Here's what maybe where it gets interesting. I'm going to go Rogue Nation here. And I like the set. Okay. The, my, my favorite set piece here is the opera series of assassinations. It's Ilsa Fastus. so good. It's so good. It's, it's like the character piece of it is really interesting. And like 
But as far as like an action set piece, you know, it's stuff I've seen before. Someone tries to shoot somebody and like someone tries to stop them. I definitely mm-hmm. love this movie, but it, it's not the flashiest set piece kind of movie. Um, yeah. I can't, I can't even like it. What I tried to do was like the one thing that comes to mind when I when I think about these movies, and this was one of them where I had the toughest time thinking of what was the big thing. I think the other thing is this. Sorry to ask this: is this the movie where they also he holds his breath underwater for like eight minutes? Yes, that's yeah. That doesn't really pump my blood that much. I gotta say, because okay. a lot of the stuff going around him is. It feels computer generated, like the the rotation of the the lever and the arms and the the SIM cards and, and stuff like that. Um, for it to be in a less fantastical, less science fictiony thing, it probably worked for me more. But even though I know it was done practically, it, it doesn't feel practical. So not not my favorite set piece. So a movie I like, but set pieces not as much for me. So what you got at four? Okay. Four is Rogue Nation. <laughs> I mean, it's, it's, I, I like all of these at this point, but it's, uh, I think I like the underwater a little more than you, but it's, uh, I think you, you hit on it. These are, I, I, I really love the, the opera assassination. I do think mm. it's, I think that is really well done sort of spycraft, uh, tension, but it's, uh, as far as the action, set pieces go you're right that um Rugnation is a little lighter than some of the others but um still it's uh it's my number four what do you got it for uh four here's where i'm going with uh dead reckoning part one um the variety of set pieces that the like what we've talked about the things that just came to mind is i love the train the car chase i've seen it before but this was like really funny and pulse pounding and the train stuff i liked all of that aside from the the mountain jump and the the hang gliding or the the paragliding, zero suiting. I don't know. There's a fancy word for it, but there's enough variety of set piece there that comes to mind. It could be it's the one I've seen most recently and thought about the most most recently. So it's it's not all the way up, but it's it's higher on my list because of that. My number three is going to be Ghost Protocol. Uh, I do love Burj Khalifa. I love the um, it, Burj Khalifa is such a natural place for the series to go after, you know, the first movie ends in the channel and it's this, I feel like mission impossible is you're asking earlier about what makes it in my movie. And I think part of it is having Ethan hunt go do cool stuff in like, I don't know what uh, engineering wonders of the world, perhaps <laughs> like, um, I don't know. That's just what I associated with it. And so when Burj Khalifa was built, naturally, we had to go get Tom Cruise to dangle off the side of it. Otherwise, is it even the tallest building in the world until Tom Cruise goes and dangles off the side of it in a movie? So, um, so yeah, it, that's pretty great. I love the interior of the, the Moscow infiltration. It's one of the better... Um, uh, the, the, the Kremlin, the, the sneak in down the hallway in the Kremlin oh, with, is it's with the really fun. Yeah forgot about it's, that it's That's really good cool. i think that um the honestly off the top of my head i can't even tell you what the third and final set piece of ghost protocol is though where he wa- he winds up in the in the garage 
fighting yeah, the yeah. Um, fighting Hendrix. Hendrix. But I don't. It's cool in that moment, but I don't think it's it's epic uh, in the way some of these others are. So, but it's a it's a, a solid solid movie for that. So that's my number three. How about you? Ghost Protocol number three. Nice for yeah. for all of those reasons. The Burj Khalifa stuff's cool, but uh, and I it's it's one of those like instantly remembered Burj Khalifa. And doing crazy stuff on it. And it is, you know, I'll say it again. Pulse pounding when his crazy gloves stop working. And he's doing (laughs) Ethan Hunt stuff, improvising on the fly. (laughs) And, of course, there's a gigantic sandstorm (laughs) that's coming. And they got to take care of all this stuff. (laughs) It's it's just fun. (laughs) This uh, The choosing between the final two movies was really tough for me. But I'm going iconic over awesome i think and so for my number two spot i'm giving it to fallout and fallout these set pieces are incredible they i mean the final i think the 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 halo jump into paris is incredible this the the um chase through paris um after uh ethan messes up the the breakout attempt mm-hmm. and after they, they take uh, what's his name? Solomon lane when he's being chased through Paris. I think that's really great too. But um, for me, it's, it's the end. It's uh, the cashmere sequence. That is just absolutely maybe the, the best, some of the best action that I've seen in film in, in the last 15 years. It's just, it's, it's so good. The helicopter chase is incredible. And mm-hmm. Um, for action set pieces, it's that's my number one for the series, I think. But um, I'm going, obviously, with uh, Mission Impossible 1 as my number one pick just because of the, I don't know, it's, it's, it's the, I, I'm going to do both of these at once. It's the, uh, I love Prague. I love the spycraft of Prague mm-hmm. and then the way it all falls apart. How they're all doing so well at all of their roles in the opening of the first mission impossible movie in, in Prague where I love the way you see that. And then I love the way it all collapses around Ethan. And then that also to me kind of includes the meeting with Kittredge. Maybe I'm cheating. I'm including the meeting with Kittredge at the ends with the, the mm-hmm. glass being the, the aquarium being destroyed. It is a hell of a way to start the series and I love it so much. And then Langley. I mean, Langley is just perfect. Iconic. It's so simple. It's not that long. It's iconic. It's the most iconic image of the entire series still to this point is is Ethan trying not to touch the floor. Also, that hand maybe defies some physics. I don't know how he's getting that hand under his face, seeing how close his face was to the floor to catch that, that sweat drop. Mm-hmm. But... I don't care. It's incredible. It's 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 perfect. So my my one is the first one. My two is Fallout. What, what about you? Uh, same Fallout two, Mission Impossible <laughs> one. I'll only just add for Fallout. You forgot that Henry K, K- Cavill shotguns oh. his biceps in the fight. Oh my god! With John, yes, like the John Lark fight, and yes. that fight in the bathroom is like brutal and awesome and. <laughs> It's it's so good, and uh, yeah. yeah, Mission Impossible one, it it's it's the best. It's it's the icon. 
it's the the progenitor that Langley infiltration it should be like in the uh, in at MoMA or something in a museum, the, like the hanging thing, all the stuff, the rat Krieger wiping his his giant nose and just like the sound of the cable <laughs> going through the hook, you just it's just going like just it's just great. Okay, I'll let you go first on this next set. We're gonna do in MacGuffins now. Every Mission Impossible movie has MacGuffins. So, what's your worst sure. Mission Impossible MacGuffin? This one might go a little little quicker than some of those. Um, my last one, oh, we go Ghost Protocol. The MacGuffin is basically just Russian nuke codes. It's uh, not not that original, and it also like there's Fallout that I feel like is more visceral and has more stakes with nuclear Fallout. It it doesn't feel as as like tactile or as threatening like these these russian nuke codes so it's it's codes you know we, we've seen that for 50 years of co- code yep. movies codes codes for me it's it's like it's straight out of a bond movie straight out of like seven bond movies probably so yeah there's a lot of these well. that are very similar but i'll go next one rogue nation <laughs> yes. just plutonium cores I believe that's the MacGuffin here, unless you can think of something else. No, it's the... It's, I think you have Fallout and Rogue Nation that's reversed. Sim- so okay, plutonium okay, okay. cores are the, the things in the briefcases in Fallout. So Rogue Nation is about the his, his like, um, Solomon Lane's bank yeah. account list or whatever. All the members of the syndicate and... Um, his access to all those bank accounts because at the end is when Ethan says, I'll pay you $60 million just to prove to you that um, I have memorized <laughs> in what, is, what might be Ethan's greatest feat ever on screen. He memorized <laughs> an entire disc of, of passcodes and account numbers. So <laughs> It's the most superhuman yeah, thing. The list of stuff from the syndicate, that's Rogue Nation. But are you going cores, plutonium cores? That's Fallout. That's the MacGuffin they're chasing the whole movie. Yeah. Okay, I'll, I'll go plutonium cores as yeah. my number six. It it also feels like similar to the uh, nuke codes. It's it's basically just nuke stuff. I don't know. Have have seen it before. It's not the best part of that movie, and the sure. movie has a lot of other best parts. For me, I'm going dead reckoning here. I've already complained enough in this podcast about the entity and the, the keys and the um, constant talking about the keys. That being said, the keys would be kind of cool if they just let it let it go a little bit for me. Um, but it's uh, I think it was just overkill that has me rank them so low. Number five, I think I'm gonna go here. Uh, Chimera, the the virus. Um, just there's so much about Mission Impossible too that just feels like a whole other franchise entry here. Um, I don't know if it's a. Yeah. I guess it's a MacGuffin because it's something they're chasing. But you do see a lot of what my, my Chimera is actually doing, which maybe puts it a little higher for me. But still, it's. Uh, I don't know. Some of this is just personal taste. I just don't like it as much. <laughs> yeah. Five for me is Chimera. It's just a virus. It's, Haven't it's we been thing. through enough with viruses? That's it. <laughs> Number four, I will probably go. Here is where I'm going to go. Syndicate list, the bank codes, like all the stuff that 
uh, he memorizes. It'd be a little lower, but like you said, human computer, like like bar trick. Ethan Hunt has just memorized all the stuff and says, you know, come at me, bro. I know all the digits. <laughs> I, just, I just love that that's the ending of that movie. Um, yeah, that's that's where I have uh, Rogue Protocol as well at number four. It's, it's fine. It's solid. Number yeah. three. Number three. Here's where I'm going to go Cruciform Key uh, from Dead Reckoning. It gets higher points for me because I think it looks really cool. It seems does. wildly impractical that no one would be able to recreate something like that. <laughs> it's like, the I guess, to get the exact right little ruby things, it, it would be a cool token to have or like a keychain <laughs> or something like that. I like that uh, they slip into place with each other. Right after the movie, I think my mom wanted a cruciform key to her truck. So that, that's how you can tell it's a good MacGuffin. <laughs> <laughs> it is It is cool. It is the best looking MacGuffin. This, uh, this would make the best uh, Christmas uh, ornament this, this Christmas. <laughs> yeah. Uh, for number three, I'm going to go with um, the rabbit's foot, which I appreciate only because the rabbit's foot is nothing at all that we ever find out about. I, I do appreciate this admitting how silly MacGuffins are, and there's sort of an end joke there. So I like that. What's your number three? Or no, we already did your number three. Yeah. Uh, what's your number two? Number two, I'm going to go knock list. Um, I don't really know what, like, I know, I knew not what knock list was. I don't even know what knock list means before I rewatched Mission Impossible 1. That's how, like, much of a lasting memory it is for me of, like, this, this is what everyone's chasing after. I guess it's, it's the, uh, it's the code names and the actual names there. And it's like, it's the formation of him caring about people. It's a list of what, who the actual people are. So, because it's the classic, it's all the way up to number two for me. My number two is going to be Fallout. I actually like the plutonium cores from Fallout. Um, Not so much at the beginning of the movie, where they really are just chasing them, but once they find them, I think they add a great deal of tension to the movie, having to dismantle the bombs, which is something we've seen before, but the... um, the, the nature of the, the, the impossibility of the dismantling process is uh, they really do a good job of establishing how unlikely it is that they can pull this off. And it, I think it really ramps up the tension at the end of the movie and makes the, makes the stuff back at the um, medical camp as, well, almost as thrilling as the stuff going on in the helicopter chase uh, mm-hmm. away from it. So uh, I'm a big fan of that. And that means your number one is... What is the rabbit's foot? <laughs> the question we've all been asking ourselves for so long. I, I I love that no one knows what it is. It just like really plays into that. You 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 completely nailed that. The fact that it is a real MacGuffin of a MacGuffin, I love the play of that. And that it doesn't matter. As long as someone has it and it can do something bad, you know Ethan Hunt's gonna put his life on the line and you know, it it is a true MacGuffin there. So I, I appreciate that. It is the most MacGuffiniest MacGuffin. It's it's not even thing. that we know it could do anything bad. We just know that Owen really wants it and he wants to sell it to bad people. <laughs> so it could just be I mean it could be a, a copy of Frogger for all I know. That it just but he wants it enough and that makes Ethan Hunt 
really want to stop him. Uh, for me, I'm going with the one that I actually don't properly consider it a MacGuffin because I think it is so essential to Ethan's core, and that is the knock list. I think that after the events of Prague, he is so shaken by losing team members that he considers all of these IMF agents around the world team members, the the remaining team members he can save. And so uh, it's the one that I care most about, I think, in, in terms of the uh, the story and what it means personally to Ethan. So I, I love the knock list. It's easily explained. They do an efficient job of, of getting it out there, and we see it moving around through the movie, and it's it, it's never burdensome, and I'm always invested in it. So I love the knock list. All right, we're going to do female leads. So an up and down sort of uh, category for this series. Um, how would we rank the... Uh, and it's not so much performances as just the characters that that every movie pairs with Ethan, some sort of uh, female lead in the movie. So worst to best, I will start. I'm going with Ghost Protocol as the worst. I just don't, I think that Paula Patton just doesn't, it just doesn't quite work as well. Uh, she's She's a team member and I think they try to establish some, maybe some chemistry there that just never really, it never really comes together. And I think she, she overacts in spots. She, in spots, she, she wears the hell out of that green dress in that one scene. But, um, that's, uh, that's kind of the extent of what she brings to the movie, I think. So, which is unfortunate, but Paula's, Paula's last for me. Yeah. It's, uh, I say ghost protocols last. I would almost like, I couldn't decide if, if it didn't have a female lead, I guess the leadiest female in it is her, and it just seems unclear. It's platonic, like like a, a teacher student kind of thing, or like more experienced person and like a lesser experienced person, or if they were going to do more stuff later on with it. But it's 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 the most muddled here of any of these. So mm-hmm. I agree. For my number six is going to be Fallout, where it's. Uh... I, I suppose the female lead is, is Ilsa in Fallout, and I, I very much do like Rebecca Ferguson in these movies, but I think the Ilsa in Fallout is less interesting than the Ilsa in Rogue Nation, and so she's she's just... It's not really a problem, but just not up there for me, and they don't really do anything interesting with the character for me. So that's what that's where I've got number six. What about you? Uh, I think it's six... I'm going to go... I'll probably... I'm doing this on the fly a little bit here. Number six, I'll go... Uh, Tanny Newton. Naya as in Mission Impossible 2. Um, she's she's pretty good in it, but... I don't, I don't know. It it brings out a, like an Ethan Hunt that doesn't exist anywhere else. Like a kind of horned up Ethan Hunt that's really like throwing game Oh yeah. is is like the bathtub scene? Yeah. Yeah. is is not the person. Like I'm all for that. Don't get me wrong, but in terms it's, of like It's Bond again. A, yeah. It's very much Bond girl. And I love Dandy Newton outs with with other stuff. I think I've said her name two different ways by the way. I'll self-grade on that. <laughs> but uh yeah, and then just she's a damsel in distress later on. 
like the her ex boyfriend has her later on, and you know it's part of Ethan trying to trying to break her out. So for those reasons, she's my six. For five, this is a tough one. It's it's one that I could kind of go a lot of different directions on this particular performance and this character. But I'm going with Claire from Mission Impossible in the five spot because it's, um, I don't know, maybe this one is the performance because I like the idea of Claire as the one character that, that once he's kind of figured everything out, he doesn't he still doesn't know if he can trust her. He's, she's the one unknown. But, and I actually think Brian DePalma does a pretty good job like establishing some sexual chemistry between the two of them between those two characters which sort of hints at maybe why Jim tried to frame Ethan for this uh, this whole thing like maybe there's been some flirtation between Ethan and Claire in the past and mm-hmm. Jim decided to to frame Ethan for that reason I like that and I like that that sort of thing isn't isn't like confronted or explained in the movie but it's just hinted at so I do like her for that reason but there's just there's just better better leads out there so i'm putting her fifth yeah for similar reasons she's five for me the mystery of whose side she's really on is you know it's it's much more unclear than like the jim phelps of it all like even even towards the end but uh i will i will cite performance here she's probably the the weakest actress um maybe of all of the all of these female leads yeah um or maybe just was was going for a different kind of movie than the rest of the people were in subsequent movies and yeah. in this movie she kind of sticks out a bit and i just got better players coming up so sorry emmanuel fourth for me is gonna be Haley atwell as grace in um dead reckoning at this point I like all of these performances. This is a good performance. Mm-hmm. It's just uh, maybe I'm maybe I'm dinging Dead Reckoning a little bit because I don't like Ilsa as much. I don't like Ilsa's story in Dead Reckoning as much, but I do enjoy Haley Atwell as Grace. So I've I've got Dead Reckoning here. Okay, we got some differentiation at least. Number f- number four, I Finally. I have uh, Michelle Monaghan as uh, Julia in Mission Impossible Three. Ethan's wife. Um, a whole other d- different side of Ethan. I love Michelle Monaghan. Really like just normal life kind of person thrust into the situation, which we'll see kind of later on. You know, debatable on normal life folks, but she's a nurse and she gets thrown into this thing. And I do like at the end where she is, uh, you know, she has to fire a gun while Ethan is like medically dead. <laughs> Like his heart completely stops, and she's like shooting people, and he's like, did "You shot him? That's good. Yeah, I did good. I like her for that." And she's got a uh, she's got cameos in some other movies that are really good. Like she's I like her in the cameo in Fallout, and also just like a blink and you miss it thing in Ghost Protocol. So yeah, I like her. Um, for uh, for th- my number three spot, I'm going with Michelle Monaghan in. Mission Impossible Three, for the reasons you just outlined, she's 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 good. It's a different kind of female lead mm-hmm. for the series, which is fun. I think that J.J. Abrams' greatest strengths in his movie are, well, besides just casting uh, Philip Seymour Hoffman to be real just g- grumbly as a villain, which worked really well. But um, I think that 
J.J. Abrams really excels at um, showing scenes of norm of everyday life, and so the party scene at the beginning of Mission Impossible Three, where the engagement party, is I think really great, and I love the those scenes of just Ethan at home. I don't, uh, and I do I do think it's fun at the end when she has to take some action into her own hands. But I think she's a fun change of pace mm-hmm. for the series, and I appreciate her for that. Um, that's my number three. What you got? Three, I have uh, Grace from Dead Reckoning. Um, she's just fun. I don't know. You're, you already talked about Grace. I, I like her in the movie. I think she's got good, uh, good chemistry with Ethan. I like that she has skills she brings into it. Like she's kind of like Julia in coming from a normal world and placed in this. Her her uh, her incred her incredulity at the mask stuff mm-hmm. when they're going through the uh, the the plan of what they're gonna do and she's like no, like you can't do this. None of this is gonna work. But she also comes in and she's like a uh, you know supernaturally gifted con woman <laughs> against all these agents. Yeah. It's, uh, it, she, she seems a little like overpowered on on some of that but she's also she's Haley Atwell she's got charisma to bank to kind of make it work for me correct me if I'm wrong but is is this the movie where I recently heard the term put pocket for the first time yeah I don't think I've ever heard it yet yeah I know you can pick pocket can you put pocket I guess that's a thing I think they said we're gonna test your skills as a put pocket yeah I think that was this movie where I heard that recently and I think it was her her character having to put pocket which is fun um my number two i'm going tandy newton tandy newton cracked my top two here in that i think i think that there's there's nothing about ethan and her scenes that i like but i do just really like tandy newton in that role i think that i'm drawn to her in so many scenes and i think that um I think that John Woo is and his his camera is also drawn to her and if he wants to make this series more romantic he picked the right actress to do it I think I think that as weird as that movie is and as weird as the tone of her scenes are for the series at large I do think she works exceptionally well within them and I'm a I'm I think she's just absolutely beautiful in this movie and so uh I, I like it. She fits with John Woo more than the Mission Impossible series does. So I like it. All right. So I'm going to do my two and one together because they're both Ilsa Faust. Um, I love Ilsa Faust and I love Rebecca Ferguson. I would uh, in love with this character. She's so cool. She's so talented. She's so, uh, you know, she, um mixed up about her priorities and she's uh you know she's probably the love of ethan's life if he was honest about it like matches him pace for pace so i'm just gonna i just flooded my ballot ilsa at the top in in the order of fallout number two and then rogue nation number one all of her stuff with the opera assassination her her things at the uh the yes the break you know, fighting with the against the Bone Doctor. Like, I'm here for all of it. Rebecca Ferguson just kicks butt. I love her so much. She's she's so good in Rogue Nation, and that's my number one. I think that the way she so genuinely hates having to double cross Ethan so much in that movie, 
and you can see it on her face. And so she's she's a perfect foil for him without being an antagonist. And she's just, yeah, I'll, I adore her in that movie. She's so good. And yeah, she's an easy number one for me yeah. in, this, uh, in this series. Okay, that leaves us with one last category, and that's villain. Let's rank our villains, and then we will be done with this. Um, what is it, who's your worst villain of the series? Uh, I'm going to go Ghost Protocol. Um, the Russian nuclear strategist. Or, I don't know if he's Russian, but Kurt Hendricks, played by Michael Nykvist. From like the uh, girl yeah. in the dragon, Michael Blankfist. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, he's just he just registers as a zero for me on the uh, caring about them or feeling like an actual person scale. And I totally forgot he was in the movie until I rewatched them. I totally forgot everything about this guy. I would rather the movie be about Leia yeah. Seydoux as the French assassin. I'd, yeah, I think that'd be she has the best so much scenes. Cooler. Yeah. She has the scene in the um, in Burj Khalifa with the fake out where mm-hmm. where different meetings are happening and no one knows who they're meeting with and it's uh, yeah she's she's the better villain in this movie yeah he's 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 not very good. My seventh place villain is going to be Dugray Scott as Sean Ambrose <laughs> from Mission Impossible Two. There is not a moment in this movie where I take him seriously as. <laughs> Uh, as a villain or as a former love interest of Tandy Newton or um, anything that he is supposed to be. I, I really, I really hate him so much in this. I feel like this is just like, it's, it's an already, it's a movie that's already struggling and the performance and the character just drag it down even further for me. Um, but I will say, do love my, the fun fact about mission impossible Two, which is this movie and its shooting schedule is responsible for one of the most iconic characters of the 21st century in film. Uh, do you know what I'm referring to? Uh, yes. Because he was, I believe, injured or, or it was taking so long. Um, he was originally yeah. going to be Wolverine. And then he had to back out. Scott was cast as, he was cast as Wolverine. Mission Impossible 2 took too long. So the X-Men... Uh, production had to go with their backup choice of Hugh Jackman <laughs> as Wolverine. Don't, and don't. Mission Impossible 2 drastically changed superhero movies, I feel like, for the next 20, 25 years. Don't you feel so bad for this guy that that happened, though? <laughs> Maybe he could have done better. I don't know Dugray Duke, Scott in any other movie, but, man, that's a one-two punch. Like, this movie this movie was successful, but, like, instantly, like, you know, critics hated on it, and then lost out on a huge franchise all because john woo made him probably do jumps off a motorcycle that he didn't need to do mm-hmm. that's probably the, the reason he he was injured um anyway that's my number seven who's your uh, number six i'm gonna go gabriel here mostly because i find most things about him completely confusing and it may be just partly <laughs> part of the part oneness of it but how he's taking orders from the entity, his level of free will in this, or like, why does it matter if he's getting paid for this? Like, is it is he just getting paid for this? I, I at, at both, like, at the same time, like, I kind of want to know this in part two, but I know I'm really going to hate knowing about it in part two, if that makes any sense. I know that's going to be a long, long thing. They keep talking about why for this guy. I find his his motivations super confusing. Um, 
Yeah, I guess <laughs> yes. he, he's like an incomplete grade, but I'm not looking forward to him making up the course. He also just, he looks like a, like a, a character from a video game. Like he just looks like he's animated to me. He's a he's an actual human being who looks like an animated, like a really good, uncanny valley animation from a Just Cause game mm. or something. That's how that's how that character looks to me. So, yeah, he's he's my number six. He is uh, he's my number six as well. Again, already already gone in detail about why I don't like this character. So, what you got at number five? Number five, I got uh, uh, Sean Ambrose. Um, just. He's he's not that great, but just Mission Impossible, just making him unrepentant d bag, no redeeming features, hates everybody. The people that work for him, he will shoot them, but does not care. They really villain him up real good. <laughs> I have him up against some other people because I under I understand that he's a villain. The people below him, I don't really understand why they're villains. <laughs> my number five is um the the russian guy from ghost protocol for all the reasons you laid out earlier forgot he was in the movie um other than he has he he i don't know the fight scene at the end of the garage is pretty fun so he has that going for him and he doesn't irritate me as much as some of these others that i've already named so that's pretty much the only reason he's at five who is your number four uh number four so this is where it gets tough i think after here we got good villains and I yeah yeah and they they lead to some some decent movies. Um, I'm gonna go Owen Davian here as as a villain in Mission Impossible Three. Um, I guess with a combination of like uh, Billy Crudup as Musgrave, they're kind of the two villains. Owen Davian mattering mm-hmm. really peters out towards the end of the movie, but the Philip Seymour Hoffman um, Hoffman ness of it. It's like he's just so intense and has no redeeming features, and he's still charismatic. Yeah. So for my number four, I'm going Rogue Nation here. I'm going with the first, um, the first uh, Solomon Lane movie, Sean Harris as, as Solomon Lane. I do think he's really good in this role. the The opening of this movie when he, um, I guess this I, this might actually be part of the cold open too. I'm not sure, but it's uh, when he when he kills the girl in the uh, the record store mm-hmm. that is just that is a quick establishment of pure villainy that's um but there's intrigue to it as well and i think he's i think he's so good in this movie and i think that uh i also love the way that it ends with the, the bank account switcheroo and him him instructing all of his henchmen to protect ethan hunt while killing ethan hunt's uh you know team or whatever around him makes for a fun shootout but i i like i do like this villain but he's uh, he's in my fourth spot. Who's your number three? Uh, number three, give me Mission Impossible OG, original Mission Impossible Jim Phelps, the original turncoat double cross. Um, just just a classic. Uh, right off the bat, they're showing you you can't trust anybody. Faces aren't what you can expect, and the uh, the his his like camcorder footage of him dying. And, and everything it's just it's really good John Voight is good at being real slimy about it too and uh, yeah I have my number three I'll go with Owen Davian at my number three spot he is um, it's a great performance and then probably a just okay villain but elevated by the performance and it's uh, 
There's really not that much that Owen Davian does in this movie other than the torture scene. And then that's kind of it, but that's, that's enough. And the quality of Philip Seymour Hoffman also bonus points for Philip Seymour Hoffman as maybe my favorite example of someone getting to play Ethan hunt, wearing their body as a mask <laughs> in this series is, uh, is Philip Seymour Hoffman getting to play Ethan hunt is, is a lot of fun, but, um, yeah, that's where I've got him. It's a great performance in a in a it's a fine villain, but nothing nothing special to me. Uh, what's your number two? I mean, you've got you're down to the Solomon Lane films here. Yep. Uh, number two, I'll go. This one's tough for me. I've, I've flip flopped it since we started talking. Uh, I'll go Solomon Lane, Rogue Nation. the The mystery of who he is, what he represents, his brutality, and like he's he's got a background similar to Ethan Hunt. He's he's like the Blofeld to Hunt for me. Like the uh, yeah the original lasting bad guy. Even though he's not an original bad guy, but he just feels like he should have always been the bad guy all along, pulling all these strings. Right. Maybe that's another reason that Dead Reckoning feels a little flat in the villain category is because I think that they really amped up. Uh, Solomon Lane and they did such a good job making him seem like this really global threat mm-hmm. where the global threat in the new one is just a computer and Gabriel is, is really just a henchman whereas Solomon Lane was the the main the main baddie yeah um, my number two is going to be Jim Phelps John Voight is Jim Phelps from the first one I think it's easy to gloss over kind of how good this was at the time. Mm -hmm. But Jim Phelps is the main character from the series. And to take the main character from the beloved TV series and make him the villain of the movie was, I think, kind of brilliant at the time. And I think maybe I've seen it too much where it doesn't shock me anymore, but it's still, it's a, it's a great turn. It's, I think Voight is, is kind of perfect for that role too. So uh, I'm a big fan of, uh, Jim Phelps in the first one and that leaves us with the same number one spot I mean if, if you like Solomon Helene equally in the two movies then what a hell of a tiebreaker to bring in as uh, Henry Cavill as Agent Walker and uh, he's uh, he's incredible the thing that's crazy about him is he still works even though the first second you meet him you know this guy's a bad guy and you know he's going to turn on Ethan and everything he works with Ethan, you're just waiting for it. But he's just that good at being a bad guy, and you know, and just laying the like like you said, laying the track work for Solomon Lane through two movies really makes it more of a more of a threat that he will actually detonate nuclear bombs to make this happen. He hates everything that much, and we've seen two movies of it. But just the Agent Walker on top of it is just so good. I mean, the man cocked his biceps to punch a person. <laughs> so good. That, that's what else can uh, you say? <laughs> that that one shot of him doing that could, is like it could stand on its own as like a, one of the greatest two second films ever made. It's just Henry Cavill <laughs> reloading his shoulders. <laughs> One of the animations of a person so riding ridiculous. a horse in like 1900, and then like yeah. <laughs> August Walker about to punch a guy. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so that finishes our okay. So our tally is 
if if we ranked the movies based just on these qualities, which I would certainly not, but if we did that, then collectively, our seventh place movie would be shockingly Ghost Protocol. Hmm. Fared the worst in this in this. Um, running a close sixth would be Mission Impossible Two. Fifth place would be Mission Impossible Dead Reckoning Part One. In fourth place would be Mission Impossible Three. In third place, Mission Impossible Fallout. Second place, Rogue Nation. And in first place, the OG Mission Impossible. Oh, wow. But we're not ranking them based on these. So let's finish up with our rankings of the series. Let's, let's, let's hear yours. Go, go from seven to one. Let's hear them. Okay. Uh, last one. Number seven, I have Mission Impossible 2. Number six, Mission Impossible 3. Number five, Dead Reckoning Part 1. Number four, Mission Impossible. Number three, Ghost Protocol. Number two, Fallout. And number one, my girl Elsa, Rogue Nation. That's a good list. I'm very similar. <laughs> it's, I, was, I was worried that we were going to have the exact same list, but we don't. For me, seventh place, a very distant second. A seventh is Mission Impossible 2. Mm-hmm. Uh, just ahead of that is uh, Mission Impossible 3. Next is Dead Reckoning, part one. Same spot as you. This is where we differ a little bit. I've got Ghost Protocol fourth. Mm-hmm. I like the big set pieces, but I do think it's it's forgettable in a lot of its specifics for me. Um, the, last, the last three on this list, I think, are all really great movies. Um, within their genre. Third, I've got the OG Mission Impossible. Second, very difficult because I think it's, I think, I'm going to make this distinction. I think Rogue Nation is in my number two spot and I think it might be kind of the perfect Mission Impossible movie for for the spycraft of it all and the, the, the um, what the series should be about. But I have to go first with Fallout in my top spot because of the sheer um, adrenaline that that movie uh, brings to the screen. And I think it's the it's the better Tom Cruise movie. <laughs> Rogue nation might be the, the better mission impossible movie, but I think fallout might be the better action movie and the better Tom Cruise movie. And probably it's one of my favorite movies of last decade uh, period. So I've got it number one, but fairly similar list. Yeah, it's it's and, really uh, like pulling straws there or drawing straws or something because they're really like a, a part one and a part two. They feel like you you have the yeah. same villain, you have the same team, you have the same female lead, and you know I will you know Fallout does end on a much higher action like euphoria than Rogue Nation does. There are elements like those are the two where I, I was kind of going back and forth on as well. So I, I can I can yeah. respect it's, the fallout. I'll go with the Rogue Nation, and we'll still have both of them. <laughs> it's a tough choice. Those are a clear top two for me. So, well, this was fun. I really enjoyed looking back over these movies with you. I've really enjoyed watching them all in Paramount Plus recently. Mm-hmm. Um, it's it was it, it's a fun series to binge and it never feels really uh like a like a slog even even mission impossible 2 as weird as it is 
is, I think, a good time because of how weird it is mm-hmm. and because, like, it's it's so out of place in this series, but I still enjoy it a little bit. Like, Anthony Hopkins pops up out of nowhere <laughs> in this movie, and I, every time it shocks me. <laughs> it's like, why is, where did he come from? Why is he in this? It's, it's you know, it, it was last in a lot of my categories, and it's, it's last here, but it's still, like, it's... It, it's still like, it's dumb, but it's like a sexy fanfic, <laughs> Mission Impossible. <laughs> if that's your thing, it's, 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 you'd it probably have exactly a good time. That. Oh man, that's perfect. Well, we won't. We won't. Let's. Uh, it's, this cast has run long enough, uh, much like Dead Reckoning Part One, and uh, we won't. We won't dwell on the cast, which we liked, the director, who we like, and so we'll wrap it up. We love Mission Impossible, the series. Um, still looking forward to Dead Reckoning Part 2. I'm very much looking forward to it. I, even though it's going to probably be Gabriel and lots of key talk again. I'm still looking forward to it. Yeah, It's a movie I'm looking forward to that I'm definitely worried about. But I will be seeing it in the theater. And I will be <laughs> on the edge of my seat. Loving it. <laughs> yeah. All right, well, that'll do it. So if you like the podcast, please subscribe. Please give us a rating, five stars preferably. Um, If not, four would be the next best option, (laughs) I think. Uh, After that, I'd probably go three. But just don't even Debatable, debatable, really. Yeah. Um, You can follow us on Letterboxd at letterboxd.com backslash, or is it front slash, TMBU. Try a slash if it doesn't work. Do the other slash. I forget which uh, which to use, but TMBU. That's the media by us, and uh, we'll post every time we um, we have a podcast. We we log it in Letterboxd and um, link to the Spotify and the uh, Apple Podcast uh, page for it. So um, anyway, tell somebody about the podcast if you liked it, and uh, we'll uh, we'll talk to you soon. Thank you, David, for joining me. Thank you. And now is the point where I tell you that I pull off my David mask and I've been TJ this whole time. <laughs> what? <laughs> TJ. Wow. Um, yeah. Thanks for accepting this mission. <laughs> yeah, it was a lot of fun. And uh, yeah, I, I love doing stuff like this. It's, it's spending time with one of my favorite actors and one of my favorite characters. So I'll always, I'll, you know what? I'll probably rewatch this whole series next year before Dead Reckoning Part Two. Yep. So uh, we'll have to we'll have to update all our rankings <laughs> next year. We will find different categories next next time. Anyway, until next time. Bye. Bye. Kicking rocks down old dusty roads. Small town slowpokes. Long time ago. Kicking out records of all the things.